Hi there and welcome to Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the message. So we are in a series called Salvation where we are unpacking this idea that salvation is more than a ticket to heaven. Uh, salvation is not only about the fact that one day I will escape hell and go to heaven, um, but actually, oh sorry, my phone... Yeah, Siri is speaking to me. Okay. Um, salvation is actually this idea of healing. God is bringing healing to us. And um, we spoke about it last week that salvation actually comes to us in three time frames. Firstly, we have been saved. And we spoke about the fact that we are the righteousness of Christ. There's nothing we can do about it. That uh, Christ has saved us. If, if we put our faith in Jesus, it is past perfect tense. You are a child of God. So we have been saved. But then also, God is busy healing us. We are being saved. And so there's this process that's called sanctification or becoming mature in our walk with Jesus as we become more and more like Jesus and less and less like ourselves. He's saving us from ourselves. And that has got nothing to do with your security in God, your justification, or the fact that you are declared righteous in Christ, but God is still working in you, becoming, making you more and more like Jesus. Next week, we will be speaking about that specifically. And then in the final week, week four, we're going to speak about this idea of glorification, that one day we will be raised with Christ uh, to a place of incorruptibility. And then not only our uh, spirits will be made alive, but not only uh, and, and our souls being aligned with who Christ is, but also even our bodies will be resurrected. And so that's the idea of we will be saved. So we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. But this week is sort of a part two of last week's sermon. So this is the 2.0 of what we spoke about last week. Last week we spoke about the fact that you are the righteousness of Christ. And as we identify with Christ, we are saying by putting our faith in Jesus that He died our death. And His resurrection was also our newness of life. We identify with Jesus it's about identification. So we spoke about that last week. This week, what we want to do is bring a bit of clarity about what baptism is all about. Because baptism is 100% connected to this idea, this declaration that you make publicly that I have been saved. I am, I've put my faith in Jesus, and you want to declare that to the world that I've decided to follow Jesus, that His death, His burial was my death. And His resurrection is also my newness of life. So whenever we speak about baptism... Um, in Bloemfontein, it is a bit of a hot topic, right? Uh, so, and we are really blessed in this church. We are blessed with people from various church backgrounds and theological backgrounds. So we've got people that actually grew up in the Catholic church or um, in a Presbyterian church or Reformed church like the Ingeo, Dopper church. And we've got people that grew up very Pentecostal, Pinksterkerke. So we've got people from, you know, uh, every uh, sort of background, and it's something that God has given us. I believe God is doing something very special, so it's something we want to steward. And so obviously, when we speak about the topic of baptism, uh, you will understand that the reason why, you know, I'm, how can I say, really thought through this topic well, because uh, in as much as I want everyone to, to understand that we are speaking to one another in love, we also need to share, well, what is it that we believe? And so that's what I want to do this morning with lots and lots of liberty, is to explain to you what we believe and also what we do not believe. But before we do that, let me just um, say this. So my secret agenda, my hidden agenda for today is I want you to get baptized, okay? 
that I'd love for you to get baptized. If you've not been baptized, that is my hope for you. But I'm not alone in that. If you go to any other church, doesn't matter if you speak to a priest, a pastor, a predikant, a duomini, or just any other normal Christian, all Christians agree that you need to get baptized. There's no argument in the church. There is no such thing as some churches who baptize and some churches who do not baptize. All the churches in the world agree with the fact that you need to get baptized. So I'm not alone in that agenda of mine, okay? It's pretty clear. Where the argument is, however, and there's that, you know, the elephant in the room, so let's address it. Where the argument is, is usually on two places. So everyone agrees that you need to get baptized, but there are two main differences. So the one is that some churches believe that baptism have got saving power, that the, the act of baptism is necessary for you to be saved, which we do not necessarily agree with, and I'll, I'll explain why I say that. And then the second argument, specifically if you live in the free state, South African argument is very much heated around this idea of the timing of baptism. The form of baptism, you can argue, but I think for most people that's not really the big issue. The big issue or argument is about the timing of baptism. So in other words, should we baptize infants or should we wait until they confess their faith and uh, do what we call credo baptism or confessional uh, baptism. And so usually the church is split along those lines, but you need to understand this. The, split, uh, the, the, split, the church has got no argument when it comes to baptize, baptism, that we have to be baptized. It's about the timing of baptism where usually the argument is about. And so I want to address that and speak about it, but before I do, I also want to say that this is not the biggest issue in the Bible. So even if you walk out here today and you don't necessarily agree with me, you know, that, that's fine. I just want to say this, is that we've got no agenda to oppose other churches. We are for other churches, even churches that baptize differently to us. That's why we see all the other churches in this city as our partners in the kingdom of God. Let me just give you some news. One day, when you stand before Jesus in heaven, the first topic you're going to be discussing will not be baptism. It's not going to be, I told you. It was supposed to be infants, or it wasn't. That's not going to be a discussion, I don't think. We're going to be consumed with the glory of who Jesus is. And so that's why I want to say, you know, this is not the biggest issue. It's not an issue of salvation. That's why I say that, because I believe that. But at the same time, does that mean we don't have an opinion about this? Does that mean that we, you know, we'll baptize infants or adults? No, no, no. We do have an opinion. So I want to just lay that out to you and explain that. And so this morning... I want to speak not so much to your emotions, I want to speak to your mind. So you can put on your thinking cap, and what I want to do, I want to really challenge you on this, is listen to this argument, and go read the scriptures for yourself, and then ask yourself, what is the better interpretation of how we should go about in baptism? What makes more sense to you? And not only, you know, on tradition or what you're used to, but what do you believe uh, about this? And so that's my hope for today. Um, but before we continue, I want to I pray for us today. Because here's the thing. The sacrament of baptism was designed to glorify God. It wasn't designed to split Christians and to bring division. That wasn't the intention of baptism. And so if we go about, you know, our conversations about, if you walk out here after today with ammunition to go and start an argument with your colleagues or family members, you missed it. 
that's not the intention of this talk this morning. Baptism, that sacrament was given to us to glorify God. In fact, to communicate the gospel of Jesus. So my prayer for today is that after this sermon, that you would fall more in love with the gospel of Jesus. Then we did it right. That would be the main thing. Secondly, it would bring understanding and a bit of clarity maybe for you. So Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that you would be glorified and that your gospel would be communicated even as we look at baptism, God. We want to ask also for humility in my own heart and everyone's hearts here, God, that we would be open to receive what you have for us, um, God, but more than anything, God, excite us about the gospel, the good news, um, about the fact that we are included in your victory, Jesus. Amen. So where does baptism come from? We read in the book of Acts, uh, every time that a Christian came to salvation, every time a person became a Christian, meaning following Christ, almost every time, immediately it says, and they were baptized. So it's like they put their faith in Jesus and they were baptized. So that came together. And so it's only in recent years where in the church there would be a time gap between you putting your faith in Jesus or confessing your faith and then being baptized later. Uh, back then, and uh, usually we get, sometimes get people, they don't have church backgrounds, they come to salvation, very simple, you get baptized right away. Um, and so in the book of Acts, we read this, I'll give you some examples, you can go study it for yourself, and we are going to have a baptism class next week, uh, Sunday afternoon from 4 to 6, and we're going to just go in a bit more detail. So Acts chapter 2, and then again in Acts chapter 8, um, twice actually in Acts chapter 8 it's mentioned, and then Acts chapter 9 is when Saul became... Paul, um, and he got saved, and as soon as he put his faith in Jesus, he got baptized. Acts chapter 10, again, Acts, Acts chapter 16, and chapter 19, and then in chapter 22, there are these beautiful examples of people coming to faith and being baptized immediately. And then we see um, Matthew chapter 28, uh, Jesus giving us this command. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in my name, Jesus' name, and also the Holy Spirit. And so we see it's a clear commandment from Jesus saying, when someone becomes a disciple of Jesus, they need to get baptized. It's like, you know, initiation or rites of passage. It's one of those, uh, one of those things. God gives us, when you become a Christian, you get baptized. So that's pretty clear. We understand that part. Um, but just to maybe give a bit of context, where does this word baptism come from? So the Greek word is baptizo. Maybe just say to the person next to you, baptizo. Emphasis on the right, sound like a Greek person, come on. Baptizo, okay? Um, and that's the, that would be the verb, I think the noun would be baptisma. Um, but that word uh, simply means to wash or submerge or drown or immerse or dunk or dip. And um, in the Greek language, that word baptizo would be used even when they were to explain that a ship has baptizo. A ship has drowned. So they're not saying a ship got baptized, now the ship is going to heaven, right? It's just something drowned. Or you, when you die close, or there's even an a ancient, um, uh, someone explained this, an ancient recipe for, for pickles. And so they say you must take the vegetable and baptizo it in vinegar and something else. That doesn't mean that vegetable then goes to heaven, it's been baptized. It just means it's been dipped or, you know, washed. Um, and that word is sometimes, in the, in the, in the um, New Testament, sometimes the word baptizo is translated as wash, and sometimes it's transliterated as baptism. 
And so in, in your Afrikaans Bible, it would be sometimes it's translated as vas and sometimes as duop. And so, you know, the same word is sometimes used for the sacrament of baptism and then other times just simply to wash. So an example would be in Luke chapter 11, the Pharisees were having, you know, issue with Jesus because he didn't do the washing ceremony before they ate. And so they had a problem that Jesus did not baptizo or wash his hands, which doesn't mean he didn't get his hands baptized, right? It just means didn't wash it, um, as the way that they used to do it. Another example, Mark chapter 7, uh, the Pharisees having this practice of washing cups and pitchers and kettles. It's part of the, you know, traditional practices, but it doesn't say they didn't baptize, you know, their cups. My point is simply, is that sometimes, like Matthew chapter 28, it does not say that Jesus says, go and make disciples, washing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says baptizing. So why did they translate this word baptizo sometimes as just washing and sometimes as this, this religious practice that we know, baptism? Where does that actually uh, come from? And so I want to give you a bit of history, just like where, where the, this idea of baptism actually comes from. And you might have heard in uh, some theological circles how they connect that to replacing of circumcision or something like that. Um, but that's not necessarily, if you read the scriptures, that's not necessarily where the connection really came from for the practice of baptism. So in the first century, if you were a Jew, but you wanted to, oh no, sorry, if you were not a Jew, you were a heathen, you were maybe a Roman citizen or Greek person or you were from Egypt, or from another place, you found yourself in Jerusalem, and you were attracted to this Jewish faith, and you wanted to convert and become a Jew, you know, if you converted, they will call you a proselyte. It sounds like another word, but it's a, it's a Jewish proselyte, right? If you're a Jewish proselyte, it just means you weren't born Jewish, you converted to Judaism. So if you wanted to convert to Judaism, there were roughly about five things that you needed to do. Five things you needed to do. The first one is circumcision. Now, that's why ladies were more keen to become Jews than the guys, right? So, so circumcision is this medical procedure. I don't have to explain it, right? Okay, let's move on. So circumcision, we know what that is. Second one is submitting to the law of Moses. That would be the second practice, which makes sense. Third practice would be a covenantal meal that you would actually have. And then the fourth one would be you'd, you'd sacrifice at the temple. Uh, as a Gentile, you would bring a sacrifice. But then also, a uh, fifth thing that, you know, many of the different uh, that they suggested was also a ceremonial washing or a ritual bath that you would take. And in that time, if people were to explain to you, you know, if you want to become a Jew, um, and they would speak about the ritual bath, which is actually something you did alone, um, this ritual bath, they would use the word paplito. That's where we get that Greek word from. Um, and so it was used in that context as this ritual bath. But then, and so they would use that. So that's the connection to that ceremonial washing. But then there came a guy, and he was crazy, and his name was John. But to distinguish him from the other Johns, they gave him a nickname because he did something that wasn't so common. So what he did is he baptized people. He dipped people. He washed people in a public river. And so this was different to the way that they understood this. And so he had this practice of, of 
actually proclaiming the kingdom of God, saying, repent, because the kingdom of God is coming. You need to align yourselves. And he's even speaking to the Pharisees, saying, even you guys, the religious leaders, you need to align yourself because the kingdom of God is coming. Repent and align yourself to God. And everyone that would say, John, I agree with your message. I want to identify with your message because I repent. He would take them and baptize them. He would dip them, wash them. And that's why he was known as John the Dipper or John the Washer or John the, John the Baptist. Someone said, like, they don't understand why not everyone just goes to the Baptist church. Because really, I mean, Jesus' cousin was John, and he was a Baptist, uh, so obviously we have to be in the Baptist church, right? But it doesn't mean, it's got nothing to do with his denomination. It just means John had this weird practice that only he was doing of baptizing people. That's why it's John the Baptizer, you know, the crazy guy. And so he, he was doing that. But then he was baptizing them, and so it was a way of publicly declaring, I agree with the message of John. But then there was a moment. Now, you can imagine, I mean, people in the Jordan River washing their clothes and just, you know, drawing water, whatever. And you got the crazy John preaching, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, people that agree say, yes, I, I want to repent. He says, okay, come, I'll baptize you as a sign, an outward sign of the repentance that has taken place in the heart. And so John chapter 1, verse 26, Pharisees are asking, what in the world are you doing? And then he explains to them. John told them, I baptize with water, but they... But right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave or untie the straps of his sandals. And so he basically tells him, you know, remember I've been telling you that after me comes someone that has been before me. And they're like, what in the world are you speaking? Saying, no, no, there's one that was, he was before me, but he comes after me and he's much greater than I. And I'm baptizing, you know, repentance, but he will baptize in a different way. And then verse 29 says the following. The next day, John saw Jesus. Now imagine this, the crowd, everyone. All of a sudden, John pauses and he points. And it's revealed to him because he knew his cousin, but all of a sudden, he, it's revealed to him. And he looks at Jesus. John saw Jesus coming toward him and says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And John moves his ministry, not only from repent the kingdom of God, says, Look, the Lamb of God. He starts proclaiming the Lamb of God who comes to take the sin of the world away. And then Jesus, after he proclaims this, what happens? Jesus comes into the water and he says, John, you need to baptize me. And John's like, no, 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 you need to baptize me. And there's an argument. Obviously, John loses the argument and he needs to baptize Jesus. And we know that. Then after that, Jesus' disciples preach the gospel of Jesus and they would baptize people whenever someone said, this message you are proclaiming. I associate with this message that Jesus is the Lamb of God, therefore I get baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they would be baptized into this message of Jesus. Just to quickly explain that, um, this difference that actually took place. So, so John would be baptizing people, so there were some disciples that John probably spoke to and they got baptized. And then they left again, went back to Europe, and then only the part happened with Jesus. And then he says, look, the Lamb of God, Jesus. Changes the message a little bit, right. And then later on in Acts chapter 19, we read that Paul gets to, I think it was in Ephesus in Europe. So he gets there and Paul asks them, so which baptism did you receive? And they said, no, John's baptism. And then Paul says, no, you guys are in for some good news. You know, remember John was speaking about the one that was going to come be after him? 
He came. Jesus, He died on the cross. He was raised to, to life. You need to be baptized into His name. And then they get baptized again. They get rebaptized. But it's not actually rebaptized because the first time wasn't into the name of Jesus. It wasn't a real baptism or the one that Paul and all of us are proclaiming today. And so Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So their response was, Paul, what you are telling us about Jesus, we believe it. We identify with this. We associate with this message they get baptized. And so for me, the best definition that I've heard of what baptism is, it is a public declaration of a new association. So even like the other disciples said, publicly, I agree with what John's preaching. But now also, publicly, I identify with this message of Jesus that his death is my death. His resurrection is my newness of life. And so I publicly declare I am in Christ. It's a public declaration of a new association. I'm associated with Christ. Now, this is why I believe the reason why Jesus was baptized was not only for an example, but the moment when John looked at him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's pointing to Jesus. Jesus says, That's what you just said now. That's the truth. You need to baptize me into that message. I am the Lamb of God. So Jesus agreeing with what John said about him, Jesus was baptized into that, saying, I identify with, I associate with what you just said about me. And Jesus gets baptized by John because it was proclaimed by John. And straight after he came up out of the water, a voice from heaven confirmed, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Confirms the message of John. Jesus confirms the message of John by saying, what you're saying is the truth. And then the father confirms the message that John just preached about him. And so now when we get baptized, it's saying that message about Jesus, it's my truth. Associate with it. So it's a public declaration of a new association. Another way to put it, it means to go public. It's like, you know, when, you, when a couple starts dating. I don't know if you guys remember Facebook. So if a couple starts dating and they're in a relationship and it's like, you know, we're going to go Facebook official. Because then you're going public. It's like, you know, your friends know about the two of you, but then you put it on Facebook, relationship status change. Daniel is now in a relationship. And it's like, you know, everyone knows. You're going public with it. You want the world to know. You're not shy about that. You want the world to know. That's what baptism is. You're going public. It's official. Saying, I'm going public with the fact that I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a public declaration of a new association. Galatians 2 verse 20, Paul um, says this, and this is what we're saying. If we get baptized, we are publicly telling the whole world, me, Abel, not other people, myself, Abel, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. His death was my death. His resurrection, my resurrection. So going under the water is this beautiful picture of a burial. His death, his burial is mine. And coming up out of the waters, like his resurrection is my newness of life. Let me quickly give you three passages in the New Testament. So not only when people got saved, but in the New Testament that Paul writes, to, where he uses the metaphor of baptism to explain 
you know, our salvation. At the same time, just to also that we understand baptism, um, but it's focused on understanding what our salvation is all about. So Romans 6 verse 4. And so listen to the language. So the question I'm going to ask you after reading this, and considering all of what I've read to you in John chapter 1, Matthew chapter 28, the examples in the book of Acts, and then these other examples, which interpretation or which method of doing baptism would you say sort of fits with what Scripture, you know, teaches us? Because I understand method of baptism is its interpretation, um, and we all have got opinions about that. So Romans 6 verse 4 says, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's Romans 6 verse 4. Colossians 2 verse 12 says, Having been buried with Him in baptism. It's that, that key word is with Him. It's like I'm associating myself with the death of Jesus. It's with Him. That's what happens in the gospel. But now in baptism, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. Now it's very important that we understand it says there through faith that your salvation is when you put your faith in Jesus. The baptism is only a symbol or ceremony, a, a public declaration of what has already taken place, that you have identified yourself with Christ. Galatians 3, verse 26 to 27 also says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That's how we become children of God, it's through faith. That's where salvation is. It's not through the practice of baptism, but it's through faith. But then it goes on, For all who were baptized into Christ have clothed themselves with Christ. Now, what I want to get to is that this language that we read about baptism, it fits with this definition that baptism is a confession of faith. This geloofsbeleidenis. See, beleidenis van geloof. You are confessing the faith that you have in Christ Jesus. That's what baptism is. And my question, and this is also just to argue the point, not to prove a point, um, but if you were to read all of these scriptures... I have not found any New Testament scripture that links the idea of the replacement of the circumcision with baptism. It's not that clear. There's one part, Romans 2, that speaks about circumcision, which speaks about the circumcision of the heart, meaning when you put your faith in Jesus, there's a circumcision of the heart that takes place. It speaks about salvation. But when it comes to baptism, it seems like if we look at the language and the way that it started out with John and what, what Jesus asked us to do, it's this idea of a public declaration of what has already taken place on the inside. My point is that baptism is confession of faith. And therefore, in this church, we do not baptize infants because they are not confessing their own faith. But we do baby dedications, which we believe is extremely important and a beautiful, beautiful thing that we do. Because as parents, you are saying that we commit ourselves in the presence of God and church to raise this child in the ways of God. And we pray that God will walk a road with this person. But when that child comes to the place where they are confessing that it's not, not my parents' faith, this is mine. I associate with Jesus. His death is my death. His resurrection is my, my newness of life. At that moment, we create the opportunity where you can come and confess your faith with baptism. And so that's the way that we understand this. So having said that, um, 
I'm going to maybe just use a, another metaphor. So Tamara said this week that my sermons is not one of my sermons if it doesn't have a sports metaphor in it. And, uh, and I thought, oh, shame. Like, uh, you know, I, I really feel for all of you who are not rugby fans because all of my illustrations usually goes to rugby. That's the way my, think, my, my theology is put together is rugby illustrations. And I thought, I just want to show you this morning, I'm, I'm very diverse, I'm very cultured. I don't only watch rugby, so I'm going to use another metaphor. I've got a metaphor from athletics. So it's, it's still sports that I understand, but how many of you remember 2016 when Wade Van Niekerk, that, you know, Wade, our Wade from Bloom, with uh, Coach Anz, Tani Anz, that was coaching him. Our very own Wade Van Niekerk broke the world record. Olympic gold medal in Rio Olympics 2016. He's actually on form now. He ran a very good time not too long ago, so we, you know, very excited about that. He's, he's, he's back to form again. Um, how many of you remember that? I, I see the, the guilt and the shame, you know, falling over the place. Some of you, you know, saying, I, I don't know what you're speaking about. Um, and let me just show you the video um, because I, I see the guilt and the shame. And you not just that everyone knows what we're speaking about. Uh, we've got a little video. We want to show that to you. And then I'm going to use that metaphor just to explain what baptism is all about and also the gospel. Yeah. So thanks to the media. So who's going to succumb to the adrenaline first? Van Niekerk is running blind on the outside and he's set off really quickly. Karani James in hot pursuit. He's already up onto the shoulder of Matthew Hudson-Smith. And Merritt is tracking the grenade. The American, the short Merritt, closing the gap. Karani James and Van Niekerk still wide on the outside. These three are away and clear. Sardinio's trying to come back into it on the inside. And the Sean Merritt coming back at Karani James. But it's Van Niekerk leading at the moment. The South African now beginning to tire. Or is he? He's pulling away. It's an unbelievable victory by a huge margin. A century of history. And 43 0 3. is very much a good picture to understand the gospel. Last week we spoke about this idea. Uh, when he ran, on the back of his little shirt, it says South Africa. That is why we jumped up and down when he won. Because in the medals table, it said South Africa just won another gold medal. Now we've got two. And America's got 98 or something after two days. But that's the thing is that that's association. That's identification. Is he is running on our behalf. He puts our shirt on, and he runs the race on our behalf. That's what took place on the cross. It was your death. But Jesus came. He put on the shirt of humanity. He put on a shirt that says Abel on the back of the shirt. He goes to the cross. He dies my death. And when he walks out of the grave, he doesn't walk out of his grave. On the top of that grave, it says Abel. It says humanity. He walks out of my grave. Jesus records a victory. And if you put your faith in Jesus, it means you identify with, you associate. 
with Christ Jesus. That is the gospel. When you put your faith in Jesus at that moment, that victory that Jesus recorded is recorded next to your name. And so that's why the Bible says in Romans 3 verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so this idea that the recorded victory is recorded next to your name when you put your faith in Jesus. He runs the race, you get the medal. That's the gospel. Now just putting this in context of baptism, I think the best way to uh, explain baptism as a public confession or a uh, public declaration of a new association is baptism is like the medal ceremony. Baptism doesn't save. The medal ceremony is not the victory. When did Wade Vanikert become the Olympic gold medal winner? When he crossed the finish line, right? That's when the victory was recorded and it was written down. Wade is now the gold medal winner. When he received the medal, it was only an acknowledgement, a public celebration of the recorded victory that has already been recorded. And so in the same way, when you get baptized, that is not the victory. When you put your faith in Jesus, that's when the victory is recorded next to your name. But when you get baptized, it's the medal ceremony. It's celebrating the fact that this victory is your victory. That's the way that the Bible actually explains this idea of baptism, this public confession of faith. It's identification, and it's associating yourself in Christ Jesus. Now, if I were to give Wade Vanikak's medal to you, Franku, does that make you the Olympic champion? The victory is not recorded to your name. Now, in the same way, baptism cannot save you. And if you do not yet put your faith in Jesus, then even if I baptize you, it will just be a bath. I mean, I don't know if you took a bath the last week. That wasn't a baptism, was it? It was just washing yourself. But if you do it as a response to the faith that you've put in Jesus then it's a baptism. Let me maybe just give you uh, some examples. So sadly, in the history of church, there's been moments, I think the Spanish Inquisition, they, they might have done this, where the Christians believe that, you know, you get saved by baptism. So we want to make sure that more people are saved. So they will go to your house and give you one of two options. They were very friendly. They gave you options. So they said, either we kill you or you convert to Christianity and we baptize you. Now imagine you are an atheist or Muslim and someone gives you that option. So it's pretty simple, right? I will take the water of baptism. But what if you get baptized but you don't believe that? You were just forcefully baptized. That doesn't, that's not a medal ceremony. That's not a baptism. That's just about, that means you have not been baptized. Another example, maybe in our culture that I hear from time to time, is someone would tell me, listen, when I was 11 years old, I had a group of friends. They all, someone was very excited about Jesus, and uh, they wanted to get baptized. Then everyone was baptized, and I didn't want to feel out because I was the only one. And um, because of peer pressure, I got baptized. It wasn't a confession of faith. It wasn't in response to my identification with Jesus. It was just peer pressure. Then I'd like to tell the person that wasn't a baptism. It was just a bath. <laughs> If it is in response to the confession of faith, then it's a baptism. Then you've not been baptized, then you're more than welcome to get baptized. Now, 
in my opinion, and again, this is not to pick a fight or anything like that, it's just the way that I understand this, is that even in the infant baptism, even though it's very something, my parents are with me, and I'm very grateful for the way that my parents have raised me. And so when I was baptized as a, as a baby, the way I understand it, that was not necessarily a baptism in my opinion, but it was still a very special moment because my parents publicly before God and congregation said they will raise this little boy in the ways of God. They're going to teach Jesus to him, which they did. And I'm so thankful. And so if that is your story also, honor your parents for what they have done for you. But at the same time, because I define baptism as a public confession of faith, I did not consider that as a baptism. I got baptized a bit later as an adult also. And so that's where that thinking just comes from. So questions I sometimes get, then we'll start closing off. And uh, as I said, we're going to have a baptism class uh, next week, Sunday afternoon. And I want to invite you to that. Uh, we'll give you an opportunity in a few minutes to just sign up for that. And we've got a baptism opportunity in two weeks from now, the 13th of August. We're going to have a baptism feast. Um, but some of the questions I sometimes get is this question of, well, what happens to a baby if the baby has not been baptized? Now, in the Catholic tradition, they will teach that baptism saves you, and that makes sense to baptize a child very early out of fear of this child dying and not going to heaven. Well, as we explained now, it's not that through faith we are saved and also through baptism. It's faith alone. Baptism is only a recognition, a celebration of that salvation. If you believe that baptism does not save you, you know what will happen to a baby that dies, that was not baptized? Exactly the same thing that happens to a baby that dies, that was baptized. There's no difference between the two. Because that is not salvation in itself. Now, if you ask the question, well, what does happen to babies? What, do, you know, what happens to babies when they die? That's a sermon for another day. Honestly, I don't know. But I, what I do know is that God is sovereign. And I trust Him. But that conversation has got nothing to do with baptism. Um, if you believe baptism saves you, then maybe that's a different conversation. God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners. So the question that I often get, uh, maybe Albert, you guys can come so long, um, is, well, I know I should get baptized, but I don't feel ready yet. So I don't know, maybe you are there uh, where you feel, yes, okay, I understand baptism, but I don't think I'm ready yet. So, so I believe in Jesus, I think I'm a Christian, but I first need to sort out some things in my life before I can get baptized. And I want to say with as much love as I can to you, that makes no sense. To try and fix yourself before you qualify to get baptized. The whole point of the gospel is that sinners like you and me can be associated with Christ. We don't wait until we are ready to get baptized. If you've put your faith in Jesus... If that is in the past tense for you, whether it be one week ago or today, or whether it be 50 years ago, if you've already put your faith in Jesus and you've not been baptized, you need to get baptized. It is a response of that. The, the beautiful thing, you see that verse that I just read, it says, but God demonstrates His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you are still a mess, Christ died for you. And when you get baptized, because it's such a public thing, you invite everyone then you will be sharing the gospel to the world. That this person 
that has not figured out their life, that is a total mess, they can be a Christian? Yes, that's the message. It's not oh, after they've sorted out their lives, before they sort out anything. It's like, if there's hope for that person, then surely there's hope for us. That's the gospel. That's the gospel message. And so that's why you don't wait until you sort something out or before you feel you're ready. It's a story of the gospel. Not because you deserve it, but because someone else has run the race on your behalf and it's recorded to your name. Maybe let's... Uh, I want to... Um, well, we've got clipboards. Maybe we should send around the clipboards if we've got them there. I'm just going to ask, we've got clipboards there, and on that clipboard you will see there's one of two options. So you can write down your details, and then there is a box that you can tick if you'd like to attend the baptism class. And then there's another box that you can tick if you'd like to get baptized on the 13th of August. And so I would like for you to fill that in. You can just uh, fill it in and, and pass it along. Uh, if you are at a place where you say, well, I don't want to get baptized yet, but I'm keen on coming to the class. I want, to, I want to come to the class and just find out more. I've got questions, more questions than I've got answers right now. Then I want to invite you, welcome, just to tick for the class and not yet for the baptism, and we're going to have that conversation. Um, and as we send that around, I maybe just want to close off with this idea. Is baptism for me is beautiful because we get to publicly confess and declare that I am in Christ Jesus, right? And this is a beautiful moment. It takes a lot of courage and boldness, and that is why for many people, the thing that holds them back is not their theology. It's pride. It's you're afraid of what people might think about you. And maybe it's tradition. But if you get baptized, it's that thing of saying, I'm not shy. I've decided to follow Jesus, and I want the world to know. It's, it's an opportunity for your testimony. But you know what's even more beautiful about the baptism than that part? is the fact that God is not shy about you. When you get baptized... As if God is saying, I'm okay with the fact that everyone knows that you're with me. I mean, sometimes I think like this. I think God is so, must feel so like shy or whatever about all of us Christians. And God is saying, no, no, you can go public with the fact that you're with me. He's not shy about you. He wants the world to know that you are with him. That is the love of God. It's not only that you tell the world. It's that God wants to tell the world he or she is one of mine. And I know they messed up, but I don't care. They're mine. That's the beauty of baptism. Let's all stand together as I pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your gospel. Thank you that we can be included. Thank you that you ran the race on our behalf. And that our salvation, our confidence is in you alone. And thank you that, that you're not shy about us. That you are willing to publicly associate yourself with me. I thank you for that, Jesus. Let's worship him now. Thank you for tuning in. If you would like to know more about us, you can visit our website or follow us on social media at Doxadeo Bloemfontein North. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. See you next time.